0: We have an exciting uh, guest to introduce you to today. His name is Ben Richards. Um, Yeah, we have the privilege of hearing him uh, speak. And a little bit of his backstory is he is a climate scientist. That's what he specializes in. Uh, Got his PhD in climate science, science, climate science. I don't know if that's proper, Um, but also works with YWAM. Been working with the YWAM ministry for 20 years. And so we just have the privilege of getting to hear from him today um, leading up to the conference this fall let me pray over him really quick and let him go yeah father thank you so much for ben Um, thank you for just the gift of what it is that he's bringing today and just that you've spoken to him and given him just these revelations and these um truths that we get to just come together and and process and i know this is such a big topic and so we just bless him right now in jesus name with um just confidence in the words that you've given him to speak give him boldness give him courage um, and yeah, just tune his ears to your heart and your, your words for what it is you want to say today in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In
1: my household, I don't say "Amen." The children always laugh at it. I said, "No, we mean I agree." There's nothing wrong with "Amen," of course, but it just—that's what I mean. I want you to do that, God. Yes, please. <laughs> amen. Um, have we got slides available. Who's on the slides? Oh yes, right, see it's not just me. Um, That's about a mile from where we live in central London. That's my wife and three girls. Um, I think that was Christmas Day actually, it's cold. Um, Next one, and I work with Youth With A Mission for the last 20 something years, um, basically since I finished a PhD. Now what's brought me, uh, and so that's been in cross-cultural mission, okay rather than climate science. So there will be climate scientists who will literally be climate scientists in a university, all right, I'm coming to you as a climate scientist that's also done something else for 20 years. Um, So I'm kind of melding those together, that's what you get today. Now the reason I'm here, next one, is um, that just down the road in the SEC, uh, there's this massive international meeting in November. Um, So we're hosting as the UK, Um, particularly Glasgow, I suppose, Um, 25 to 35,000 people. How do you do that with COVID? Well, they're still working it out, but we are gonna have maybe 25,000 people from every single nation. How often do you actually get people from every single nation in one place? It's rare, that's all I can say, it's rare. It's 196 nations plus the EU. So if you're Germany, you get in twice, you see what I mean? (laughs) We're not in the EU. Anyway, there you go. Um, Right, next one. Um, And I've been in and out of Glasgow now for about a a year. I mean, obviously, I've been here before, right? But specifically preparing for COP, God spoke to me about 18 months ago and said, get out from what you're doing. There's something very important going on in Glasgow. So I said, why? What's important? I, I, I follow the science, right? I read the news. I know climate's serious. I knew COP existed. But when God jabbed me in the ribs and said, you know a lot, now it's time to pray a lot. Now it's time to get other people involved. Oh, dear. So it's been quite a major shift in my thinking. And today I'm going to bring you through some of that thinking so that we can all be on board with God and why he thinks. So essentially, the message is, God thinks COP26 matters. <laughs> why? That's what we're going to talk about now. And next one. And if we start with the kind of the overview of us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as those that love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength... What are we here for? Um, To disciple nations. Look at that last thing that Jesus said while he was physically on earth, um, resurrection body, but physically on earth. He says, um, all of us in heaven and earth, hooray, has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I used to read that and think, oh yeah, I know about baptism, I've been baptized, that's good, but actually for them is the nations. (laughs) How do you baptize a nation? Fortunately, some people have done some word studies on this, and therefore I can tell you. Um, The baptize there is this sense of being immersed, and it's also used in cooking for things like marinating. So in marination, you know, you put your chicken or whatever into the, the, the sauce, and what happens? The sauces kind of go in, don't they, to the meat um, if you're vegetarian, there are equivalents. Right, so um, the marination process is what we're involved in because God teaches us things. See that there? We're teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You can't disciple a nation with anything that Jesus hasn't already taught you. But if he has taught you, then you can disciple a nation. And what you have learned from Jesus can kind of soak in to the nation. So we know that in all sorts of areas of life. That's what we're doing. We're, we're on the planet to help Um, society and in the particular instance I'm talking about today we're looking at climate and sort of the general sense of of, of, well people call it the environment I don't like that word but that sort of thing next one if we go back though to when God first mentioned humanity it's a funny thought isn't it God had a first thought about humanity let's make people in our own image now we know that in our own image means he wants to relate to us. He made us for relationship. He made us um, to show his glory. All those things we're familiar with. But I hadn't really realized this little connection here right in the first time. And the first time someone mentioned something matters. Let's make mankind in our own likeness so that they may rule over. So there's a so that. Have You ever seen that before? The reason, one of the fundamental reasons, the kind of context for this idea of God wanting to relate to us is in looking after the other things he's made. It's an essential, fundamental part of of who we are. Um, And what's the best analogy for that, for looking after something else? The best analogy I have at the moment is I've got a car. Yes, I drove from London yesterday. That's a long way. Anyway, I did. The car is up the road in Paisley where I'm staying in the Wyman Bay. So, I, I mean, what's your name? Do you want to borrow my car? Yeah, okay, anybody want to borrow a car? I'll actually be happy to lend somebody the car. You get the keys. You have the ability then to crash it. <laughs> the very first time I borrowed my parents' car, having passed the test, I did actually
0: scrape
1: it down the side of a van. Oh, no, I remember that noise even now. But the point being, you have, if somebody's entrusted you with something, you've got a responsibility to it but also if you've borrowed someone's car you get stuck sometimes of where's the wiper switch or you know where are the lights so you phone them up right you check in with the actual owner now God owns the earth um, Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's and all the way through actually the earth is the Lord's we don't own it he didn't actually make it for us in a way he made us for it to look after it of course we benefit from what he put in the earth but but you see what I mean And there's a funny dynamic all the way through the the Bible, which, again, I hadn't quite anticipated being so important until the last year or so of study. Have you got the Amos slide that I added today? Maybe we don't. Sorry, Hosea is what I wanted. Okay, I'll just read it out. Um, There's there's different examples here uh, through the Old Testament where the earth responds to what people do. Thank you. Look at the last bit there. Um, We've got a land which is dried up. Um, It's wasting away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea are all swept away. So you've got a kind of environmental problem going on. But this time, there's a diagnosis in these verses. So go back. Why has that happened? No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. What nightmare. Bloodshed. So it's as if, because of those sins, the physical earth is responding plenty of other examples in the Old Testament. What about the drought that resulted in Elisha having to be on Mount Carmel and doing his face-to-face with, you know, the prophets of Baal? And at the end of that, the people said, oh, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. So they're repenting. They're saying, oops, we've made a mistake. And what does the land respond with? A downpour. All right. So you see that, but somehow, there is a response from the earth. How about um, Genesis, where are we? The The first murder, anyway, very early in Genesis. What does God say after that murder? The blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. Now, those of us that do prayer walking and things, you can sometimes sense that there's been an evil in a particular part of the world or a particular bit you're walking through. I happen to notice crossing the border into Scotland, there's a different sense from England. Thank God for that. I'm fed up with being. Oh. <laughs> I, I, okay, I acknowledge, right, I'm a posh-sounding guy from London, and I know what that means for some people who are not in London. Not just Scotland, but, you know, the north of England. or you know, It's just... So I come to you as a brother in Christ, not as a posh-sounding guy from London, right? <laughs> I'm here to serve, um, not to impose or anything ugh, like that. Um, and, in fact, a little bit more about me. Just set the next one up there. Um, so... Great privilege. The Queen paid for me through her government to go and explore glaciers in the Himalayas and study the the, uh, long term climate change and the next one. And every now and then um, there was a privileged opportunity for a friend to come out with me, but he never knew that he was going to have to put me on his shoulders to find the perfect bit of mud to study that had been left behind by a glacier 10,000 years before. Anyway, so just that, that's the science, right? I've been deeply involved in the science all these years, and the question, uh, but in ministry since then uh, in a cross-cultural sense. The question still is, how is God seeing COP26? We've got the world coming just down the road. What, what are we supposed to understand by that? Next one. Now, even if they were discussing, I don't know, peanut exports or something, if you had every world leader coming down the road, you'd want to pray and bless them, wouldn't you? Oh, think about it another way. You wouldn't want the enemy to have his way. all right? Uh, human beings, what could possibly go wrong? Right? We know a lot. <laughs> it can go wrong when you're dealing with powerful people. So as a very simple starting point, we want to bless. We want it to go well. We want God to help. That Paris Agreement, that by the way is a picture of almost all world leaders in one place at one time to sign it. Now I've been talking to people that prayed through The climate cop in Paris and in the last few days it really went to the wall there were certain governments that were holding out saying no we're not going to sign this Saudi Arabia said I don't want to mock here but it's gonna sound like mock." Um, Saudi Arabia's objection was if you're going to give money to poor countries because they haven't done any emissions but they're still getting bad impacts from climate why don't you give us some money because we've got to stop producing oil beggars belief (laughs) Um, so you get these kind of detailed awkward negotiations, but I know that at least eight there was a, an email list of 800,000 people. We got an update every day how to pray for Paris, and we're hoping that this time we will have detailed information from within the negotiations. I mean, I've got a, a UN pass. Oh, I got a UN pass. <laughs> um, That was a miracle, by the way. Um, We missed the deadline and someone else offered one. So I've got your pass. I'm gonna be in there reporting back to people coordinating the intercession. So we actually pray for exactly what's going on. I believe God can make a big difference. Um, Right, I'm gonna get my trolley here, right? This is the climate science moment. Okay, next one. Um, Did anyone do GCSE geography? You'll have seen something like that, right? The basic understanding. But I'm gonna put it from a God angle. God made the earth so that we could flourish. And one of the things he put in the atmosphere was enough carbon dioxide to keep us warm. Not hot, warm. It was enough carbon dioxide so that instead of being about minus 17 degrees on average, the global average temperatures are around about, I think it's about um, plus 15 degrees uh, um, pre-industrial levels, right? So, (coughs) science, careful. So um, what I'm saying is God gave us a blanket. Thank you. What we've done in emitting a lot of, carbon, of, of buried carbon has been to put a big duvet on top of that. The Earth is now running a, a fever. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not happy. Now, rather than go into great details about that process, I'm gonna talk about why we have relied on a stable climate for all of our lifetime. The last few years, it's not so stable, next one. Um, and as an example, let's just go to the hated city across the way, Edinburgh. (laughs) I don't know, I'm sure we all love Edinburgh. Um, So yeah, they did have an intense rainstorm in July. Um, It was off the charts in terms of what's normal. The leader of the Edinburgh Council, I think it was, said no city in the world could cope with that much rain. And I have an engineering background as 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 well as a science background, and I thought to myself, that's not true. There's loads of countries where you have very, very intense rain. The difference is they're used to it. Anybody an engineer here? I'm not really an engineer, I'm half-engineer. Um, right, okay, well, you, you work out how big to make the pipe. <laughs> how many drains to use to get rid of that water? You maybe build massive pumps or something, because you know it's coming. Edinburgh's not used to it. So we haven't built those. Uh, next one. Um, the railway system, it survived pretty well, but when there was an intense rainstorm in, um, just, just near Aberdeen this time last year, a slope failed because of the intense rain. So it survived 130 years, and it didn't survive that rainstorm. So we're talking about extreme weather, things which have been normal, sorry, things which have been extremely rare and now quite common, unfortunately. Let's go to the next one. Again, I'm trying to bring together, you've probably heard all this stuff, I'm trying to bring it together for one, in, in one place so you can get a, a kind of overview. That's, that's what I'm here for. Um, go to California. Um, these are the areas burnt. Um, so can you see that black bit, which is the, the first 70 years of the 20th century? That much was burnt. Okay. Then in the first 19 years of this century, about half as much again. And then last year, a huge amount, a whole third more. Uh, they've just got control of the second biggest fire ever, so that would be added to, you know, to, to the big red wedge there. So I'm just trying to say... We're not in normal territory. Things have shifted significantly. But those were first world examples. Let's have the next one. This is um, a part of a world I've been to uh, 28 times now, Pakistan. Um, Great privilege to go to these dear people and and minister to them and and bring some unity. Go to the next one, actually. Um, So sometimes I get interviewed about climate and how Muslims and Christians can get on with each other and things like that. That's a, a privileged moment just go back again to the sinned one. Um, This is a part of a world where it gets to the 40s in the summer. And it's hard work, but it's a very, very fruitful land. In recent years, it's gone over 50 several times. And, well, it might go over about 52 in the next couple of years. So what? Well, it's hot, it's not very nice. But actually, the human body cannot survive very high temperatures. It depends on humidity. We all know that if we were stuck in an oven, we'd, we'd be in trouble, right? We'll t- just dial that back to a 51, 52 degrees. You sweat out as much as you possibly can. Maybe you've got a fan on you to help evaporate that. You get to a point where the human body gets just too hot and your organs start shutting down. It's called the wet bulb temperature. You can look it up if you want. <laughs> um, Bizarrely, I was talking to a civil servant friend of mine who was working on Syria, and she was looking at the wet bulb temperature for Syrian refugees and saying it's quite close in some of the camps to where it becomes unsurvivable. Let's just go to the next one. Um, The next, the map. Right, now I'm gonna talk you through this map. This is the best example I have of um, the kind of changes we're talking about if we don't make big, correct decisions um, in Glasgow, or if we fail that, then very quickly afterwards. So just, just just bear with me while I explain this. Um, the black dots are areas where currently the average annual temperature is 29 degrees. So as you can see, it's not much of a world, right? It's, a, it's basically parts of the Sahara um, and that sort of thing. You've got some very hardy tribesmen, the Fulani tribesmen, who we can all reach with the gospel. They have their camels, they have their goats, they survive just. But there's not many people. <coughs> now, if you work out what happens with the currently uh, growing emissions of the world, called business as usual scenario, and you don't do anything to reduce emissions, then by 2070, you can predict how much of the world will be enjoying 29 degrees as an average temperature. And it's a shocking area. It's the whole area which is uh, dark brown on that. It's actually hashed um, black lines, but you probably are seeing it as dark brown just take that in for a moment. This is a condition where without air conditioning, you really can't farm. You can't can't expect things to grow properly like they have done. You can't expect to be able to do a normal job without air conditioning. So that's certainly Pakistan, I just mentioned, whole chunks of India, an awful lot of the Amazon rainforest, which by then would no longer be rainforest. Indonesia. In that paper, it was a major paper, the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, so that's a major American journal, they said under those conditions, 3.6 billion people would be under this environment. That is not the world we're used to. That's something we really don't want to have happen. Um, On to the next one. Um... Anybody familiar with this map, the 1040 window, where they, they mapped out the areas which were least reached with the gospel, which also happened to be areas of greatest poverty, and that really does coincide, doesn't it, with what we saw before? So these are some of the neediest parts of the world, and if we care about our neighbour, and who is our neighbour? Well, somebody that's not the same as us, because they're a Samaritan, right? Somebody we maybe don't know. The Samaritan helped that man, yeah. He didn't even know. Him. So anybody in the world we should be caring about under god Um, yeah so that scenario is what we would be facing unless we make serious changes i hope this is helpful to kind of bring it together i'm talking to you as somebody who's faced like we all have difficulties in life which god's got me out of can you think of 101 examples Right. I was saved in a situation where people, I was in Pakistan, and it was the first Gulf War, and people were threatening to kill us because we had white faces, and they were, you know they didn't like it. And we used to pray and God would rescue us from nightmare situations. We did have also an escape plan, right? We were ready. But I'm just saying that to say, although this looks horrific, God is used to rescuing people. And I think if we can switch on our faith here and say, okay, that looks difficult, what's the way out of this? Let's just, next one. Um, We all know, by the way, that (laughs) the climate changes, (laughs) all right, Um, yes, you can make fun films about it, and the next one. Um, But the point is, in the last last 10,000 years, we've had a very, very stable climate, which is that long period, and then suddenly it's gone up. So during that time, we've been used to things being stable. And so what the seriousness of the climate situation is the suddenness of the change. Um, In the IPCC report published this week, they're really confident that it hasn't ever changed as fast as it's changing now, except at the end of the dinosaur age. You probably know what caused that. It was a massive asteroid, and within two years, everything changed. So that was probably the fastest ever change. We're doing the second fastest. Go on down, please. Next one. Um, and so wherever you look, there's reports where people, where people that know about this are saying, oh yes, this really is different, and the next one, and if you've lived in Germany, certain parts of Germany, your houses that have been around for hundreds of years, were swept away by a thousand-year recurrence flood. They may have one next year. Okay? Fundamentally, warm atmosphere can hold much more moisture and can dump it more suddenly. But also, the records in the, northwest of, um, sorry, the northeast uh, America for snowfall have been set in the last few years. So it's not as simple as it's all going to be warm or it's all going to be wet. It's also all going to be dry. The extremes are being pushed out there. Next one. Um, New York putting billions of pounds into dealing with sea level rise. Well, I've hardly even talked about sea level rise, but three quarters of the world's cities live close, are on the coast. Um, and Glasgow's actually not too bad for that. There's just certain parts that are low-lying and then we're slightly up. Um, whereas I live in London, <coughs> well, we're going to have to work out what to do. Next one. Next um, one. So as my friends in fund, who supplied the picture, keep reminding us all, it's disproportionately impacting the poorer. It's not fair, fundamentally not fair, but the countries which have emitted very little greenhouse gas over the years are being hit worse and earlier, but we all will be um, with current trajectories. Next one. Thank you, so that's the IPCC report. Um, As a climate, if I just put on, keep my climate scientist hat on right i'm going to say it as if i'm a climate scientist which i am this was this report was the climate science community jumping up and down on the rooftop saying this is really serious take notice and climate scientists tend to say this is likely to be what they really mean is in normal english this is absolutely serious and happening <laughs> okay because we we we're kind of handicapped in how we say it i'm interpreting like for a um, for a different people group so I say all this to say, what's happening down the road in Glasgow is a really critical moment. Can you think of other critical moments? When I was at school, the Berlin Wall came down. I've only discovered more recently that people were praying a lot in the run-up to that. There was a church in Leipzig um, where they prayed every Monday for peace. And in uh, about two months before the wall came down, there were 700,000 people that just prayed for peace. There's a lot of kind of extraordinary moments in our history. Um, If you read the book Intercessor by Reese Howells, he documents when they prayed through the Second World War and the amazing interventions God gave to essentially save this country, certainly, from invasion and, and other moments. So through history, there have been occasions which have been critical occasions where the body of Christ has said, right, we know God wants us to pray here. I believe this is one of those. And how to pray. Fundamentally, the problem has been caused by sin. But what is the sin? Well, there's a whole load of different things. But the biggest and most obvious one is excessive consumption. I'm not talking about having a sewage system that saves thousands of lives. That's great, that's good. I'm talking about excessiveness. You know the parable of the loving father or the prodigal son? What does the, one, the son that says he wants his inheritance and goes off, what does it say he did with it? He squandered his inheritance on wild living. He didn't value it. He wasted it. It was excessive. God's standard for us is abundance. Who knows that? God never gives you just what you need. He gives you a bit more, partly so you can give away. The people back at home, the loving father, the older son who has his own problems, (laughs) were stewarding what they had, so they had abundance. They had a fattened calf. Now that is the standard we should be living to if we're managing the earth. Abundance, celebration, but not wastefulness. So I believe essentially, and this is on our own lives and as a society, as humanity, we've kind of taken what God had for us and squandered it. We've been very wasteful. If we can do a U-turn, and I believe as humanity we can, and certainly as a church we can, we can we can definitely... turn this thing around? That's what the science says. It's also what I believe from the Bible, right? Um, go through to Second Chronicles. Um, <clears throat> who, who knows this verse about the healing of the land? What are the conditions for the land to be healed? It's turning from wicked ways. It's acknowledging. Um, it's being humble. My appeal is in the run-up to COP26 and during COP26, let's pray humbly and ask God for a serious change of heart. We always should be praying for those in authority. That's Timothy, was it Second 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, pray for kings and those in authority. Yes, we'll pray for them to make good decisions. You have to do that without judging, by the way. That's what I've learned. If you're praying because you're so fed up with them being so stupid, all right? That doesn't, that doesn't kind of move heaven. It's more a, oh yeah, God, they're humans like us. They've got a difficult decision. Please help them make the decision. All right, that, that brings something. And in the squandering, because this, this has been my seeking of God. Where have we gone so badly wrong? What actually are we dealing with? There's been a lot of careful misinformation, disinformation, that's where you deliberately put out wrong information, by actors in the fossil fuel industry. And by the way, I'm grateful for those in the fossil fuel industry for helping humanity develop and all that, we, we couldn't be anywhere without that. Um, but can you go two up, please, to the Exxon scientist? Um, just about, yeah, thank you. Um, Exxon, a big oil company, had the best climate scientists in the world in the 70s. Um, they had worked out that if they keep emitting lots of carbon dioxide, it's going to damage the planet. And they, their predictions are actually very close to what the current predictions are. The basic science is the same. And they said, we're going to have to change our business model. And for a few years, it looked like they would. But by the late 80s, the powers that be in those companies said to themselves, no, we're gonna keep making money the way we know how. And they started to put out misinformation. The fundamental approach was the science isn't settled. Let's wait till it's settled. Which incidentally is exactly the same thing that the tobacco industry had done 10, 20 years before. So it, it introduced an element of doubt which wasn't in the science. And I believe that effectively delayed good action by about 30 years when I was doing my PhD in the 90s, it was clear to us that climate change was happening, it was serious, and at that point, we could have changed things without too much harm. There was a report, the Stern report, in the late 90s that said, um, with I think it was 2% of GDP every year, we could adapt to avoid this problem. We missed it, and we missed it because of this deliberate misinformation. Um, to put this another way, the first, First time the IPCC reported—that's the UN gathering of, of scientists—was 1990. It said, uh, in, in scientific language, it said, "Oh, but yeah, there's what was the word? It's very likely that humans are causing it." What they meant was, it, it's happening. So we really knew, and all governments signed off on that. Since 1990, we've emitted fully half of the total emissions. So let's just put this another way. Since we knew it, we've doubled the problem. Just think about this from a moral point of view. For the whole of humanity. I'm not talking about any individual here. So if that's how much our total emissions are, that was where we were in 1990. We doubled it. Since we knew. <laughs> it almost makes me cry. For the stupidity. But hey, we're humans. We know we do stupid things. We know that greed is a powerful thing. I have every sympathy, not every sympathy, I have some sympathy with those people that made those commercial decisions, even though I think it was a serious human, human problem. So asking for mercy is the right thing. Humbling ourselves is the right thing. And asking God for a way around is the right thing. So, will you join us When you do something to pray through COP, before and through COP, that the best possible reaction happens at that time, that a U-turn by humanity is possible, that will bring a response from the earth. I don't know what the response will be. So do you see that there's like parallel? You can see it from a scientific point of view that you have to reduce emissions, but you also know there's a moral response from the planet, if we get that right. Both are real. And will we seek God for the details of how to pray? We've got this great privilege. We love it. We love it being um, children of God, being servants of the king, being invited into the throne room, being a royal priesthood. We're not normal humans. (laughs) If I put it that way, it's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? But you know what I mean. I'm a child of God. My child of Godness is more displayed now than a month ago, because God's dealt with two things significantly and probably a few others in in that month. Same for all of us. Can you go to the Romans 8? Um, The way that we as children of God show what the kingdom is, we're kind of displaying what the new king is like, aren't we, in everything we do. But including in how we steward and look after what God's entrusted with us. And creation is waiting see that? And creation waits in eager expectation. It's, but the word is um, on the edge of a, of a on the edge of your seat, kind of desperate keenness for the, for the children of God to be revealed. Of course that happens when Jesus comes again, but like everything else, it's now and then. So we get the foretaste of it now. If we, as the children of God, develop that and, and exemplify our king, then creation will respond and be liberated from its bondage to decay to the extent it can in, in this stage. Do you see that? There's things that we can do which will change it. We're unusual positioned, unusually positioned. And as the city of Glasgow, I think there's an unusual opportunity to welcome and bless as well. Okay. There's more. You can imagine there's more. (laughs) I'm going to hold it there. On Wednesday evening, in the south side, I'm talking in quite a lot more detail about the science, and about how to pray. I'll be joined by a colleague from YWAM, who we've been exploring it together. Um, So that's open to anybody, um, not just Rehope. But, but to any other church, to put that out there, um, and um, and we'll be exploring that together and, and actually starting to pray a bit as well. So thank you very much. Don't forget, God is beautifully, brilliantly, wonderfully in charge, and we need to partner with Him in managing what we have, and not drive the car into a <laughs> into a field or the Clyde or something. You know. Thank you.